This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's inner north. Today's big question, is science the answer? We're asking this question today to Adam Humphreys. Adam has an honours degree in biochemistry and worked as a scientist before studying at Theological College and is now assistant pastor here at Darabin Presbyterian Church. Adam also loves his family, science fiction and Lego, and he joins me now. Please welcome Adam Humphreys. Welcome, Adam. It's terrific to have you on the show. Um, To kick off bigger questions, we'd like to ask a couple of smaller questions. Um, Would you try to have a bit of fun on the show? Now, today we're talking with Adam Humphreys about if science is the answer. So in today's smaller questions, Adam, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about science fiction. Now, do you feel qualified at all? I think so. You do? Okay, well, that's good. More than many other people. We'll find out. We'll find out how qualified you really are. There's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one. Now, which of the following books would not generally be understood to be true science fiction? Is it A, The Martian by Andy Weir? Is it B, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams? Is it C, The Foundation Trilogy by Isaac Asimov? Or is it D, Where's Wally in Outer Space by Martin Hanford? Oh, well, they all have sci-fi themes. Right. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. So which one do you think would probably Uh, not really be classified as true science fiction? Probably D. Well, the answer actually is D. That's right, yes. Where's Wally in Outer Space? Now, have you ever read Where's Wally in Outer Space? I haven't actually read that one. No, okay. Uh, Do you reckon it could perhaps be a cult sci-fi classic? Possibly not. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually an activity book, so maybe something for your kids. Okay, well, you're doing well, Adam. Okay, question two. And which of the following science fiction movies got just 3% on the movie ratings website Rotten Tomatoes and was claimed by Slate magazine as a picture that will be hailed without controversy as the worst of its kind ever made? Okay, was it A, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, the extremely disappointing prequel to the Star Wars saga? Was it B, Battlefield Earth, a movie made in the year 2000 starring John Travolta? Was it C, Star Trek II? The Wrath of Khan, the 1982 movie based on the original Star Trek TV series? Or was it D, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, a 1964 movie where the Martians come to Earth to kidnap Santa Claus because there is no one on Mars to give their children presents? So which of those got just 3% on Rotten Tomatoes? Go with my gut here. Okay, right, yep. And having watched it, uh, I'd say B... Battlefield Earth. Right, you actually watched it. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, that's how hard. Was, was, was it worth three percent? Do you think? Barely, because <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen D, but I'm assuming that that would be so bad that it might actually be good. Whereas B was just well, the bad. correct the correct answer is actually B. There you go. <laughs> In fact, Battlefield Earth regularly makes lists of worst science fiction movies ever. One YouTube commentator said. This movie is in my list of the top 359,000 films of all time (laughs) and it was voted as the worst movie of the decade by the Golden Raspberry Awards. Sounds Um, about right. And by contrast, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians got an astonishing 24%. Uh, Phantom Menace got 54%, whereas The Wrath of Khan was actually an excellent film at 88%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you enjoyed that one. Yeah, many times. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Adam, you know the answers. You got two of our two smaller questions right. You passed. Big round of applause. <laughs> now, Adam, you've just demonstrated that you know a lot about science fiction, and you've even watched Battlefield Earth, one of the worst yeah. movies ever. Um, why do you love science fiction so much? What do you find so appealing about it? Uh, I, I like how it explores different ideas, kind of stretches my imagination, but still genuinely within a knowable world, kind of tries to be realistic. I know that might be, sound a bit funny, but right, yeah. it's kind of well, it's involving uh, stretching about what could happen, right. what might happen in the future. Using science, not so using much science. magic, I suppose. That's, right. that's, that's, that's the difference right. between that and So fantasy. not being lazy, not taking shortcuts. Actually, right. this is where technology and science could take us yeah, and yeah. what could be out there. Yeah, and, so, and that really appeals to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Why, why yeah. is that? I feel that when I first got into science fiction, it was good as a bit of escapism, mm -hmm. uh, but also it asked big questions that I was kind of grappling with and seeking to answer those questions and just presenting different perspectives and views on things that I found uh, challenging but also helpful and helped me to kind of navigate through life a bit better even. Right, yeah, terrific. Well, there's, this, there's a famous quote by the character Spock from the 1982 Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan, which is a good film, uh, where he says, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So were you attracted to the logic of Spock? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, I just like the way that uh, he in particular could simplify things, Yeah. but also science fiction is looking at trying to understand the world yeah. so that we can you know, know how to live well in it, to un understand ourselves, uh, reflecting uh, who we are back at ourselves. Those right. sorts of things, okay. exploring those ideas. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the science aspect, where, say, maybe fantasy is a bit different, science is trying to be logical and rational and approach something uh, that gives you structure yeah. in your life. Okay, yeah. And so you begin to think that science was offering answers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, is there a, a spiritual element at all in science fiction? Depends on who's writing it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Arthur C. Clarke and some other guys that I read when I was younger, very firm atheists, uh, would often debunk um, Christian belief, spiritual belief, that sort of thing. And Douglas Adams was the same, the author of The Hitchhiker's Guide yeah, to yeah, the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, often mock uh, spiritual beliefs. Yeah. Uh, yet, at the same time, someone like C.S. Lewis, a lot of people don't know, he's actually written science fiction novels. There's a great trilogy that he's written uh, exploring science fiction themes from a spiritual angle. Uh, so it depends on who's writing right, okay, the sci-fi, yeah, yeah. I guess. So did you have any spiritual connections growing up? I mean, did your parents have a faith or any sort of spiritual connection? Yeah, so I'd say I came from a Christian home in that my parents are Christians. Yep. Uh, we went to church a little bit when I was younger. Uh, that kind of fell away when I was in high school. Uh, as a was, teenager. That was that connected to your immersion in science fiction? Or? Uh, it was partly that we... Uh, so my younger years lived in Melbourne, then we grew... I went, moved to the, to the country, and so I grew up in a little country town that had just one church, didn't have, very, didn't have church services very often, and it just became a bit of a hassle. Mm -hmm. And so we stopped going to church when I was young. And so there were spiritual things, Christian things. The Bible's kind of there in the back of my mind. It was kind of part of our kind of rhythms throughout the year, Easter, Christmas, that sort of thing. But it wasn't very regular. Uh, and to be honest, it often wasn't very interesting right. compared to the things that I was reading and exploring at school. And Yeah. So, so there was a connection then between your sort of your 
loss of interest in sort of uh, spiritual Christian spirituality, yeah, perhaps, well, I, and then yeah. the embracement of science. So I guess I felt that a, as I understood it, a Christian view of things, the Bible just couldn't bear the weight of the questions I was asking, uh, couldn't bear the weight of what the world actually seemed to look like to me, mm -hmm. and I felt that science had the answers, that science was actually uh, giving me more confidence and understanding of the world mm. uh, than anything in the Bible could do, and so just I just saw it as pointless, as mm. redundant. So how many answers do you think that science could give you? Uh, all of them. <laughs> really? You used to yeah. think that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe not always consistently, but there are times in my life when I thought science is all we need. Mm. Then you went to university and you studied an arts science degree. Now, this was, was this a, a natural extension of your interest in logic, rationality and science itself? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to study science. I didn't know what sort of science, just science. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. And just start general and specialise as I went along. So how were you then feeling about life when you started university? I, I felt content in many ways. I felt that even though there was lots to learn, I was confident that I'd get there in the end. So, yeah, there's some ups and downs along the way. Um, but there were some things at university that also confronted me and challenged my beliefs. What sort of things challenged you? Well, to be honest, it wasn't so much in the science subjects. It was in the, the humanities subjects and people starting to pick apart you know, ethics and why do we view the world the way that we do and how can we know what truth is and that started to, to challenge me a little bit and also... Would challenge what, particularly your, your confidence that science was going to bring answers to yeah, everything? Yeah, well, that everything was as clear as I thought it was and it was just a matter of time and just applying the right tools, you could solve every problem mm -hmm. when people are actually saying, well, maybe you can't do that uh, and maybe we can't actually know things for sure and I remember going, well, that's just stupid uh, but still being challenged by that a little bit. Right. So were you searching for anything though at university? Yes and no. Uh, searching for answers about the world, uh, searching for what science I should do to get a career, searching for, for friendship I guess as well, moving mm. to Melbourne and not knowing many people at all. Uh, searching there. But in terms of spiritual things, they would be at the back of my mind at times. Big, so some of those bigger questions about life yeah. and purpose, why are we here? Uh, but I'd often try not to think about them too much. Mm -hmm. But you were prompted to think about them, though, at one point in your university life. Yeah. How did that happen? What happened? Uh, well, I met Christians. Yeah. <laughs> how, did you, how did you meet these, these strange people? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they did seem a bit strange, but... Why were they strange? Well, it, it was, the, the way I met them was actually I, having grown up in a Christian home, mum and dad never drank alcohol. And so when I came to university, I was confronted by drinking culture mm -hmm. and trying to find my place in that. And I just felt like I didn't fit in. So I lived on campus in one of the residential colleges and just kind of went, I don't, I don't know how to connect with these people. And every night they're getting drunk and the only sober people there were the Christians. Right, okay. Uh, and so the only people I could have a proper conversation with were the Christians, right. and they're actually surprisingly nice and <laughs> reasonable and, you know, started to build relationships with them. But do you clearly disagree with their view, though? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, 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 meant, what did you think of the Christian faith at the time? I think I had come to a point in my life where I appreciated maybe Christian values, trying to be a good person, but I'd seen Christianity as something that 
was good for humanity in the past because it helped us to understand the world and explain things, but we'd kind of left that behind. We'd kind of grown up and we didn't need yeah. uh, faith anymore, Christianity, the Bible, spirituality. Uh, that, that was something that we needed to leave behind. And so I felt, to be honest, that Christianity was a little bit childish perhaps, uh, a little bit naive. And so that's where I started to grapple with the fact that here were intelligent people at university who are also Christians. Mm. And that actually interested me. Mm. I wanted to know why, mm. why they believe these things. Now, you set out to confront the best arguments for the Christian faith by signing up for an apologetics course, which is a course of defending the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith. What happened with that? Yeah, well, I got a bit of a shock because uh, I, cannot, I can't remember so, what all the topics were. Why did you sign up for the course in the first place? Well... To be honest, it was my scientific approach of you need to study things, pull it apart, analyse it, try to, try to destroy it if you can mm. uh, to see if it'll actually hold up. And so I thought the best way to suss out these Christians to see if the Bible is legitimate is to hear their best arguments uh, against attacks on Christianity in the Bible and mm -hmm. see if they can actually answer them. Uh, and I actually found that they could. And it was the week on the resurrection that really got me when uh, they laid out uh, all the arguments as to why we can believe that Jesus truly did rise from the dead uh, after he'd been killed. And coming away from that, obviously there'd been other work going on in my heart, in my mind uh, before that. But I remember at that point, it's like, wow, I actually think this is true. Actually, the evidence points to Jesus actually coming back to life. Mm. And that kind of rocked my world. So did that, did that surprise you with your own rational or logical explanation here? It did. It did. Uh, and so it's really weird because many people start with a belief in God and then they're just trying to figure out, well, who is this God that I believe and maybe the Bible might explain it or the Quran or something else. For me, it was I believed in the resurrection and then went, well, if that's true, then God must be true. And so I worked kind of the other way. So you believed in God, sorry, you believed in the resurrection before you actually believed in God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The only way I could explain it was that there truly is a God mm. who actually did this. But you were studying science though, weren't you? I mean, yeah. isn't the Bible sort of based on faith and revelation, whereas science is on evidence and empirical study? Yeah, I think it's a, a misconception that even I believed at the time. You know, science is rational and logical and only deals with facts, whereas the Bible is just kind of made-up stuff. It's not consistent and doesn't connect with our real world at all. But when you actually look at the two, uh, both of them present evidence, maybe even facts, and we have to interpret them. And part of how we interpret them is by applying uh, presuppositions, assumptions, maybe even applying faith. You know, why do we believe that science the science, scientific method will work, well, sometimes you have to take it on faith. Uh, and the Bible actually talks about real events, historical events. You can go to the places described in the Bible. You can see artefacts from that time. Mm. You can see how the Bible is consistent with itself. And so this became persuasive to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so how did your life then change? I remember telling someone after that I became a Christian that... I'd converted and they said, oh, I always thought you were a Christian. Right. And so in one sense, because I'd grown up in a Christian home, morals were very important to me. Right, I see. And so I was very good at being a good boy and on the outside looking good. Staying sober. Stay, staying sober. Yeah. And, yes, simple things like that. As long as I do these three things, then I'm a good person. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was on the inside. Uh, and it's actually coming to the realisation that 
God is real um, made me understand that God actually knows my heart and that's not good enough just to put on a good show. It's actually what's inside that counts and God can see that. And that challenged me and I realised that I needed, I needed help to actually change who I was on the inside. Mm. And so for many people, people, they didn't actually see much of a difference. But inside there was but a lot But inside there was a huge change yeah. uh, that happened. So you became a Christian believer. So then you stopped studying science then? No, no, no. I uh, threw myself into my science even more. I was even more determined to was continue, become a scientist. Uh, because I realised that having a faith, uh, believing in God, gave greater purpose to my science. And I think being a Christian meant I could do my science better. Mm. But, the, but the word science, though, doesn't appear in the Bible. So does that mean then that the Bible is anti-scientific? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think actually the Bible gives the foundation for science. Uh, I think H How so? When you look at the way the Bible describes even miraculous events, often they're quite ordinary. People come back to life or people are healed. And it's not particularly it's, ordinary. <laughs> and it's not ordinary in what's actually happening, but the way it occurs, and so the Bible actually lays the foundation for us to be, even be able to do science because we know that God will act the way he acts every day and mm. uh, things will happen so as we expect. There's an expectation that you have a reasonable a reason to expect there to be order in the universe. That's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, there is a book in the Old Testament of the Bible called Job, which is a long philosophical reflection on the suffering of a man called Job. Now, Adam, Job's a very old book. What, what do you think we can learn from it? See, Job is great because it asks big questions and it asks questions that relate to the human experience, mm -hmm. uh, relates to things like suffering. Why, yes. why, does, why, do, things, why do bad things happen? Yeah. Uh, and how do we understand our place in this world as humans? Uh, how, how do we understand the purpose of our existence? Yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, the book contains a dialogue between Job and three of his friends who try to help Job process and understand his particular suffering. Now, in one of Job's responses in chapter 20, 28, he reflects on some big questions of life. And a part of this reflection, he describes the mining process and the search for precious metals. So verses 9 to 11 say, People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. They, their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. So what's Job describing people looking for here? You know, this is a really fascinating passage yeah. uh, about mining, isn't it? And about exploring the earth to unearth treasures yeah. hidden in the earth, gold and jewels and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and he's describing the, the technology. Uh, is it too much to say that this describes the scientific process in some sense? So it is describing the technology employed. Yeah. Um, how maybe whether they're refining that using a scientific method or not. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. But this is an example of the sort of... You know, the human spirit, the attitude that drove the scientific method, this uh, drive to explore and understand, uh, to pull treasures out of the earth, yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, that, that part of that drive is what's there in the scientific endeavour. Mm. Well, the search for material resources in the natural world is then contrasted with the idea in the next verse, in verse 12, where Job asked the question, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? So what exactly then is wisdom? 
there's a contrast here of look at how clever humans are, look what they can do, look at their their knowledge, their skill, the things their they can bravery, extract from the earth, yeah. and look what they can produce from it. That you know, the, almost the rewards of their efforts. Uh, but then when it comes to wisdom, uh, they're found short. And so, what is wisdom? Well, it's it's not just information or knowledge. It's what do you do with that information? What do you do with that knowledge? Mm. And I believe the Bible, the way it presents wisdom is uh, knowing how to live well in the world that God has created. It's looking at the world around you and going, well, what is the good life? Mm. So can science answer that question? Well, science might be able to help in exploring the answer, but I don't think you can give the ultimate answer to it. Mm-hmm. Job gets an answer of where wisdom can't be found, though, doesn't he? What does he say? Yeah, well, well, in the passage, um, after saying, you know, where where can wisdom be found? It says, no mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. Uh, And so I think what the passage is saying is that uh, humans can't find it by searching it out, uh, they can't find it by trying to pay for it with the treasures they've unearthed. Uh, it's almost saying it's, it's inaccessible mm. to humans. And if science can't answer that question, though, that, doesn't that just make it a meaningless question? So, for example, um, scientist Peter Atkins and then also um, other atheist scientists, Richard Dawkins, proposed this idea when they say that some big questions, including the questions of purpose, such as why are we here, are not actually real questions because they're not based on evidence and they don't deserve an answer so are you satisfied with that approach well i'm not (laughs) okay why not (laughs) and and i don't think anyone should be satisfied with that kind of answer the whole book of job is not looking at the scientific question it's looking at questions of bigger bigger ideas yeah uh, around suffering and human purpose Uh, but i think it is relevant to our modern day exploration of who are we what's our place in this world yeah Uh, and science is limited it cannot actually understand everything uh, because it can only observe the natural world. Yeah. Uh, it only deals with repeatable events, uh, things that can be tested and analysed. And we all know there are parts of our lives that aren't open to scientific investigation. Mm. So you disagree with Peter Atkins, who goes on to say that I consider that there is nothing that the scientific method cannot elucidate. So you disagree with him there? Oh, yeah, I think that's pretty arrogant, to be honest. Well, why, why arrogant? <laughs> Uh, well, it's saying that uh, he's got the, the one technique to, to be able to understand everything. And I think what he does is he's trying to dismiss um, a huge part of human experience, of our lives, of uh, literature and art and history and all these sorts of things. He's saying they're all just irrelevant. Mm. Wisdom can't be found by the scientific method? No, no, I don't think so. Uh, and this, this passage actually points to mm. that. Now, acclaimed science fiction author Isaac Asimov once said, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. So what do you make of this quote? It seems like he's, making, he's drawing a distinction between science and wisdom. I suspect part of what he's saying is uh, science gives us knowledge or information. Wisdom is how to rightly apply that knowledge. Yeah. And so we don't know how to use our discoveries uh, as a parent, I'm discovering this myself, that <laughs> right. all these great technologies, you know, apps on your phone and tablets and things like that, it's one thing to have this technology, but how do you actually use it in a helpful way for your kids? But then isn't the concluding message of Job anti-science and maybe even anti-knowledge when Job concludes his chapter with, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord 
That is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So why is wisdom found in the fear of the Lord? If you look at the verses beforehand, uh, you know, verse, verse 12 talks about where is wisdom, where can it be found, and verse 20 repeats that again. So there's a refrain in here and says that it's hidden, no one can see it. Uh, but then we read, well, God does actually. He can see it, he understands, and God is the one who made the world. Uh, he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. It talks about God's actually involved in not just setting up creation, but ensuring creation, uh, ensuring the world functions day by day. Right, yeah. And so he himself has the divine perspective that we don't have so that he can actually uh, reveal wisdom, wisdom that's found in creation, but also the wisdom that comes from God mm. and his unique perspective. So because of his perspective, gives us a, a, he gives a, a unique perspective on how to live well in the world. That's right. He, he, if, yeah. if, particularly if it's his world. That's right. So yes. he knows how we should use it. Uh, but I also think that how we live in the world is related to what we think about God. Mm. And that's where the fear of the Lord idea comes into yeah. it. So but how has that been particularly the case for your life? Yeah, well, that, that was the understanding that there is a God yeah. and he knows what goes on in my life and I realised that I might be able to fool everyone around me but I can't fool God and so I knew that I actually needed help and it wasn't just I need help on some good moral advice and the Bible just gives me some guidance. I knew that I actually needed, I needed a saviour. I needed to be rescued. Mm. Um, and so that's when I understood the resurrection is not just a party trick from God saying, hey, guess what, guys, I'm real. It's actually the stamp of approval on something that Jesus did before that, which was when he died on the cross. Mm. And that Jesus' death was in our place, in my place, so that all of the messed up stuff inside of me can actually be dealt with and, and forgiven by God. So you pursued science, you loved science, but now you, now you trust in the Lord. Have you found the answer to life's questions in the Lord satisfying? Yeah, I found them satisfying uh, in that reading the Bible and trusting in God and wanting to, to do things his way, uh, relying on his grace, has helped me, helped me uh, with my relationships, with my work, uh, with my marriage and parenting and all sorts of different things, uh, how to uh, get along in life. Uh, that's helped me, that, that wisdom you get from the Bible. Other times it's not satisfying because I do want to understand everything and pick everything apart <laughs> and I get to a point where that's, I, I can't know. I just need to trust God. Yeah. And I've but that's exactly what this passage is saying though, isn't right. it, in Job, that, that God is bigger in us and he's always going to know more than we do. That's right. And, and the so, hum humans are finite. So part of it is understand, do I know enough about God to yes. know that he'll continue to reveal himself to be a good and mm. loving creator? So Adam, is science the answer? Science is an answer, but it can't answer all of the questions we might have about meaning and purpose and how to live a good life. So I think it's useful, uh, but we actually need more. We need, we need to hear from God. We need Jesus who actually gives us uh, the true answers to life and how to live well in this world. Hmm. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the bigger question, is science the answer from Job 28 verse 12? But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? And then verse 28, And he said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Adam Humphreys. 
Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.